Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talk to P. Brian Scarrett, who is the chair of Heritage Guelph, the city of Guelph's Heritage Advisory Committee. One of the first episodes of the Politicast this year was a conversation with Councillor Leanne Caron about heritage issues in the city of Guelph. It was just before Christmas last year that Heritage Guelph rejected the Cultural Heritage Master Plan developed by city staff, and it was coming to council back in January. It would kick off a year with a lot of heritage controversy, from the discussion around inadequate communications between committee and staff, all the way to October's confusing series of city council meetings about the demolition of the old stone farmhouse at 797 Victoria Road North. So the year ends how it began, with a discussion around Guelph's heritage issues with one of our local advocates on the subject. This year in heritage is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. I'm sure some of you listening to this are wondering about Guelph's obsessiveness with preserving its past. That was a lot of S's. It's an interesting character quirk of the city, but it's one born from a genuine sense of concern about Guelph's historical attributes. Guelph, after all, is almost 200 years old. In the 1960s, a big portion of the historic downtown were torn down and replaced with modern buildings, the original public library building, and many stone buildings in St. George's Square were among them. Heritage-loving Guelphites are always worried about history repeating itself, and they're also concerned about watching local heritage buildings fall into disrepair in what's called demolition by neglect. Guelph needs a lot of investment in heritage, and that was a recurring theme this year. Of course, there was some good heritage news in the year 2021. The Drill Hall downtown is in the process of being reclaimed, and the city has an eye towards looking for new uses sometime in the new year. Despite the controversy, the Cultural Heritage Action Plan was passed by City Council, And the old nurses' quarters at 65 Del High Street was sold to the County of Wellington with the intention of turning that building into supportive housing. Plus, City Council acted this past summer to have the Planning Department investigate the old Ontario Reformatory property as a heritage district. In terms of administration, the 2022 budget included funding for an additional heritage planner, which will bring the number of permanent employees on this file at the city up to two. So it was a consequential year for Heritage. But how does the head of the Heritage Committee feel about it? That's one of the questions we will ask P. Brian Skerritt on this week's Guelph Politicast. Skerritt will talk about the role of Heritage Guelph, the limits of its authority, and how this year has seen a change in the dynamics between the committee and city staff. We will also talk about the pressures on local heritage buildings, the us-versus-them phrasing about heritage designation debates, and how neighborhoods can evolve and change while still protecting their heritage assets. And finally, we will talk about the lessons learned from 2021, the big things expected from heritage in 2022, and whether Guelph has turned a corner in protecting its own history. So I caught up with P. Brian Skerritt last week via Zoom. So Brian Skerritt, thank you so much for joining me today. Glad to be here. Why don't we start with, uh, just if you could describe the the role of heritage guelph you know sort of like your legal powers you know what what the the committee is is capable of and and what it does when it meets every month 
Sure. Um, it's actually a really easy because we have no legal powers. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we are simply like every other, technically we are a municipal heritage advisory committee and uh, we advise council. That's pretty much the first sentence in our terms of reference that we are advisory and consultative, uh, but we have no uh, actual authority. A lot of people say, well, is Heritage Guelph going to designate that building? Mm-hmm. And, and, and even when I joined the committee, it was a learning process for me around language to say, no, we don't designate, we recommend. So we offer advice to council. The, there is a legislative framework uh, that, that we are established under. The Ontario Heritage Act gives municipalities the ability to form a heritage committee. And then there are obligations on council once that committee is formed to consult with the committee uh, that you know, they are legally required to, to execute certain steps in, in consultation. Um, but the, the actual decision-making powers are always left with city council or in some cases, deferred authority to city staff. Mm-hmm. So let's look at this year in particular, and I'll phrase the question this way. Was this a good year for heritage or was it a bad year for heritage given how often issues intersected with, with your committee? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. <laughs> it, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. We, um, it, it has been a, 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 I can't think of another year that was comparable, not just within my own time, within my time in the city of Guelph. Um, so many things cropped up at the same time uh, from the culture heritage action plan to the house on York road to the small house on Elizabeth street um, to the, uh, the reformatory. Um, it, it, and then to, to, you know, not, not uh, hidden issues between uh, heritage Guelph and city staff and, and some challenges we had there and that council recognized and hired a facilitator for, I mean, we, it was a strange year. Um, at the end of the day, was it a good year? Net, net, I would say yes. Mm. Um, I think if if only because there were there was education on all parts, you know, on the part of Heritage Guelph, on the part of myself, on the part of council, on the part of staff, and to some extent on the part of the public. Although that's, uh, you know, if we. we that's one of the areas that I have the some concerns about what Heritage Guelph has accomplished in terms of achieving their mandate. Mm-hmm. We, we haven't done a good enough job on that front. What, what specifically do you mean? One element of our mandate is um, outreach, mm-hmm. outreach, education, information, um, sharing, assisting the media, installing plaques, um, that sort of opportunity to keep the notions of heritage and, and why heritage is, is a good thing front and center. And through a combination of reasons, uh, we have not really executed any part uh, of that in the last couple of years, at least, if not longer. Um, and a lot of it has to do with, with resources, you know, resources that are given to us by the city, 
resources that the city has themselves to offer us, whether it's uh, physical resources like space on a hard drive to keep files, whether it's human mm-hmm. resources like heritage staff to work with us or communication staff to work with us, those resources just weren't there. Um, and I'm hoping that as a result of the recent budget decisions, mm-hmm. that uh, some of that will turn around in, in 2022. There are now two heritage planners. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> there will Finally. be one they hired. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, and and for a city our size and, and with the, the depth of history that we have, the depth of cultural heritage resources, that's not inappropriate by, by any stretch. Um, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, the things you're talking about are kind of a microcosm of, I think, a lot of things that have come up at council this year. Uh, the, the idea that there are so many things going on that just sort of have all ended up coming due around the same time, uh, mm-hmm. not having enough staff available to, to be committed to, to doing the things that everybody wants to do. Uh, not being able to tell the story. Um, and that came up at the community of the whole this month with the, the climate change file that, you know, the perception is that the city's doing nothing to fight climate change. And in fact, it's very active on climate change. That's right. And, it, and it's kind of, it sounds like all of these issues are also happening very specifically on the heritage files. Very much so. And, and, and some of the issues that we experienced this year um, were a direct result of, of not having those resources, those staff resources in particular. Um, the, the farmhouse on Victoria Road mm. uh, had been recommended for designation uh, maybe off by a year or two, but it was recommended for designation in the year 2000. Mm. Our uh, consolidated minutes only go back to 2004. So I wasn't even aware of that recommendation until it became an issue. Is that a situation where those are at the library, like on paper copies? Those recommended the, the the minutes before two thousand and four. I couldn't even tell you where they are. If they <laughs> okay. are, I would be glad to know because I'll be going to get them. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, but the, the I think the the issue more is that 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 the staff resources that have been unavailable have caused us to fall a little further behind each year, and. Um, you know, we are very much in a position of playing catch up and, and, you know, Heritage Guelph has been trying to, to assist uh, in research and, and, and starting to push the envelope a little more on saying, Hey, we need to catch up on designating properties on moving the ball forward. Um, and you know, that's where, as I said, part of the learning process this year for me was understanding how those staff resources have been really maxed out and that some of our frustrations are a result of, of you know just not having the bodies in place to uh, to help us achieve our uh, mandate which can help lead to some of those misunderstandings that uh, sort of boil to the surface this year definitely that was part of it definitely that was part of it that that and that was uh, there were parts of the facilitation process that worked very well um, we you know I think increased, our communications with staff, particularly with senior staff, uh, our relationship with the senior heritage planner has always been very, very good. Mm-hmm. But uh, relationship with senior levels of staff, our communications with senior levels there, uh, our communication with uh, council has improved. Uh, we, we've opened, really, reopened that that 
that door of communication, even though it's a, a, a tricky point, at which point you say, okay, we want to talk to council. But I think one of the, the things that came out, not directly of the facilitation process, but um, corresponding to that, city council directed staff to undertake a review of all advisory committee procedures and, and terms of reference. And there was a new uh, procedures that were brought forward, most of which were very, very good updated changes, mm-hmm. um, allowing, for instance, if Heritage Guelph had strong opinions on something that they wanted to present to council, uh, we were given the same five minutes that any other delegate would get, right. even though we're appointed by council as their advisory body. We get that little five minutes of fame. The new terms that have been presented give us the same uh, facility to present to council as staff. Mm-hmm. We would sit at the, at the table. We're not limited to five minutes. We, we get to be part of the conversation a little bit more. I think that's very important, not just for our committee, but for, for all of the committees. Um, the, there were a couple of things that came out of that that I was less happy about. I think that there were some um, uh, unintended consequences of rewriting those policies and procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, one of one of which is uh, much more oversight on on working groups and subcommittees. And I know there was some conversation at council about what a working group is, but but it it means that our smaller groups that don't constitute quorum uh, are having challenges because now they have to abide by the same terms of reference, same rules of the road as as a full committee. And it it makes us a lot less uh, nimble, a lot less re- able to respond to things, and adds a lot more overhead to to volunteers mm. but, and to staff. Actually, it, it's uh, you know staff then have to provide the resources to hold a meeting, to record it, to keep minutes, to post minutes, and and I am a huge comp- uh, proponent of open government. I, I don't believe in meeting in secret. But when these little subcommittees meet and they have to report, they don't constitute quorum, they have to report back to the committee in public anyway. Um, I think we wound up into some some overreach that that, that uh, caused some inadvertent consequences. Because it sounds like that there was a lot of kind of, not that members of the committee can do the same work as a heritage planner, but there was... You know, when you go to a heritage, some of those heritage meetings, it sounds like a lot of those smaller groups were like doing the hardcore research, um, if only for their own sort of edification and to offer the best advice uh, that, you know, could be done if there were more heritage resources available at the city, like spending a lot of time at the library. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, notwithstanding... Oh, that's some of what our, our committee members enjoy doing. I enjoy <laughs> doing it. Um, you know, even, you know, my personal opinion, even with another, with the added staff, um, we will still be under a lot of pressure. Uh, staff will still be under a lot of pressure. Every day you can open up the newspaper and find an ad that says, you know, here's a beautiful heritage building. It's a building lot. Mm. You know, and in the real estate paper uh, pages, um, and you know, where are the resources that to, going to come from that can you know monitor that? Should it be monitored? Uh, who does the research to say 
you know, hey, that's on the register or that's on the on the that's a designated property. Who does the outreach to the real estate agents? Who does education uh, to agents and to potential buyers? I mean, there's a lot of moving parts, and and I still think that there's a role for the heritage committee, you know, per our terms of reference, to do some of that. Um, but again, it, it comes down to resources because we can't really operate without uh, without being in, in concert with staff. There is kind of a feeling that you're being outmanned and outgunned by just like the pace of development. You know, something like the the farmhouse on York Road that's coming to planning uh, the planning meeting on Monday. Yeah, where it's sort of on private. It's on private property. It is dilapidated for years there's been repeated visits a lot of uh i guess citations and warnings but at the end of the day if it were to suddenly just fall apart and you know not be able to be salvageable you know there there would kind of be no real i mean would there be real consequences if that were just like you know it, it became it, it, it like it just fell apart to the point you couldn't salvage it again. Like maybe you could salvage the pieces, but you couldn't use that building again. Is there consequences for that developer? Wow, I guess there there there, there there's always a point which there can be consequences mm-hmm. uh, if somebody chooses to to pursue uh, action. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so I, I'm going to speak more in the abstract. Sure. Uh, we, we, we've had incidents of um, heritage, designated heritage buildings where, let's say, the windows, you know, the original windows were part of the designation. Uh, and the homeowner says, well, you know, those old growth windows, we don't like them anymore. We're going to put in vinyl. Mm-hmm. And they do that. Um, and there is no consequence. There is no follow up. I mean, they're, they're really, unless you're in a heritage district, there's no heritage police. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, as much as, as sometimes that's what we're accused of. Right. Uh, so the house on, on York road, uh, that was on the heritage register for, a, for a long time. It was never a high price. shouldn't say high price. High, everything on the, on the register is a, is eligible for designation. Mm-hmm. Um, Heritage Guelph identified that as a property of interest when we were researching the reformatory. Mm. Uh, we had expected that to be included in a review of, of the reformatory part five designation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it, it's now on our agenda for, for its own designation. I think the other component of, of that property is, um, you know, it, it probably wasn't in as bad condition when it was, you know, purchased when it was mm-hmm. acquired. Mm-hmm. You know, what what led to its state of disrepair, and uh, you know, what, was that preventable? Um, yeah, and, and I don't have the answers to that, but those are those are questions that that our committee was asking uh, when we when we voted to recommend the the designation. Yeah, that question started at someplace specific and it kind of went to somewhere more general because I, I think, and you see this online a lot when it comes to, you know, certain heritage properties and your committee moves to designate and it's somewhere like in the ward where there's a lot of building and you, like there's these voices of, I'm going to say sort of conspiratorial thinking where it's like, oh, watch this place go up, you know, as in 
go yeah. be set on fire, right? <laughs> there's this there's this feeling, right, that or, or there's this like sort of bad faith opinion of developers in this town that heritage is something they're going to avoid at all costs, even if it means arson. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not sure that that's the case. I, I, I was certainly wouldn't want to be be on record saying that that was the case. And, right. and, and honestly, I, I can't think of anything in the last you know decade that w- was even you know untoward. Mm. Uh, I think it, it's it's a bit more mythological right. than real. Um, and you know, I know a number of developers that have have you know, approached heritage with with respect. Um, and yeah, so you know, houses that are abandoned, those are the ones that are the trickiest. And 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 I, there's a certain amount of uh, sympathy I have for property mm. owners, even if they're not you know developers per se. Mm-hmm. You know, the house on Crawley Road, mm. um, that was really to, to a certain extent the the owner was handcuffed by zoning. Mm-hmm. and the challenges he had there um the the question becomes did you know it, it, in my opinion it's chicken and egg if somebody bought a property knowing that there is limitations knowing that it's on the heritage register knowing that it's designated you know they're going in eyes wide open or mm-hmm. or at least they should be mm-hmm. and and that's where i have the the greatest challenge saying well you know what it was already zoned that way when you bought it and unless you took, you know, measures to mitigate, you know, your challenges, um, then, you know, I, I don't have as much sympathy as I might otherwise. Right. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, sympathy is is not really part of the equation when we when we're evaluating. <laughs> well, when we're evaluating, you know, does this property meet the standards outlined by the province? And I think that that's another area. I mean, that's not, not your question, but it's a no, no, yeah. We we have very specific rules that that are handed down by the province to to say this is what you have to achieve to designate a property, and it used to be that you could put properties on the municipal register with a little bit less uh, um, strict oversight. You could say, well, you know, that one might be it's an old house. Let's put it on the register just in case. Mm-hmm. And now, even to put a house on the register. Uh, you have to go through a fair amount of due diligence uh, and support the rationale for putting it on the register. So you know, we don't just, uh, neither staff nor, nor our membership uh, can, can just look at a building and say, well, that's a nice old house. I want to keep it. You know, it has to meet certain standards in, in order to be retained. And, and the house on, on York Road, yeah, definitely does. Mm-hmm. I think part of that too, though, is, I mean, it, it seems like we, we're, we're kind of like separating and, you know, when you separate any group into just two distinct ends, that, that's always sort of a, an erroneous assumption. But it, it does make me, at least to me, it, it seems like we're separating everybody in the city into two groups. There's the people like the team that revitalized the Petrie building where they were like so dedicated to preserving that that heritage asset while also modernizing it. And then on the other side, there's the you know, the, the old fashioned real estate developers, knock it down, build something new. Right. And I, I think, and I talked a bit to, to Leanne Caron a bit about this too. There's this um, allergy, I think from, you know, history lovers in the city who th- remember back in the sixties when it was, 
knocking down the old stole buildings in St. George's Square, knocking down the Carnegie Library, even if, if you're not necessarily old enough to remember those things. Yeah. That that I mean, it's it's such a blight, <laughs> I guess to put it that way, where you yeah. see these incredibly like 60s looking block buildings smushed in between all this old stone and and it's it's like it's there it's like somebody put uh, a bionic arm on the statue of david it just (laughs) just doesn't look right that's right and and so i think people have this this built up i guess sort of red line in their minds that this is a fight between people who love heritage and people who hate heritage and just want to get rid of it and there's a lot of wiggle room in between I agree. There's, there is a lot of gray zone. Um, I've got a very good friend who, when I joined Heritage Golf, he said, oh, you're on the committee that says no to everything. <laughs> and, and I actually think of it the other way, where, where, where the committee that says, yes, yes, we want to keep the building. Yes, we want to you know, retain the, the, the neighborhood uh, flavor. Um, you know, there's a lot of elements to it. And, and there's a lot of evidence that, that economically, uh, retaining our heritage makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, we would, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that had we retained our, our old buildings, our, our stones buildings in the downtown core, we would be a, a UNESCO world heritage site. Mm. There's no doubt. We would be up there with, with Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, and, and up until recently, Liverpool, England, and, and, you know, historically we blew it. We didn't, we didn't pursue Oof. the opportunities and, and keep that. So, you know, heritage of golf is kind of a, an odd ball in my opinion that, well, we spend a lot of time. It's, it's reactionary. It's a little bit mm. reactionary to what we've lost. Mm-hmm. So we're a, a little bit more fervent sometimes uh, to protect what we have left, but yeah. So to your, to your point about a dichotomy between the, the lovers of heritage and the the people that want to knock it down. I think there's probably a lot more gray zone. The some of the problem is is bad information, mm. and that goes back to that first part that I said at the top of our conversation that we, the city, I think, and the province, I think, and Heritage Guelph locally have failed. Really, there's a lot of misinformation about cultural heritage districts about mm. what you're allowed if your uh, house is in a heritage district people freak out and it's like well wait a minute it's not necessarily a bad thing and in fact i've had complaints directly from from people who live in heritage districts that they haven't been informed about new developments and and things that are then is actually offered by the legislation right um, but i think a lot a lot more needs to go into information um, you know, people were upset recently in the York Elizabeth land use study that their house was going to be migrated from the cooling inventory of heritage properties to our municipal register. And, and it, it tends to get kind of shrill. Mm. And I think there's a, bad, a lot of bad information that people don't understand that, you know, for the most part, there's no difference between the, the, the two I mean, and 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 there there's always an engaging interesting philosophical discussion between uh conversation I'm always interested in engaging in with, with anybody um, you know do I as the owner of a of a heritage property have the right to just knock it down 
um, when it's a key component of my neighborhood or my land, landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can make arguments both ways. So, so I think there's a lot more nuance than, than we ever get, have uh, around these conversations. Well, let's add a little nuance because I, I, what you just said there made me think of that little house on Elizabeth Street you mentioned before. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the question is, like, at, at what point, because I'm thinking about that, the house on Elizabeth Street yep. uh, specifically, and I, I guess the question is, neighborhoods grow, change, evolve, you know, sort of naturally one house or one building gets knocked down, another one gets placed. And this is something that happens over the course of a city's history. But I guess where, where's the line between sort of preserving that history, preserving like a heritage district, preserving a neighborhood and so, still sort of letting it grow and change and um, do those, the, the things that sort of happen naturally over the, the course of a life of a city. Well, you have, you, the first question is, does anything happen naturally over the course of the life of a city? Sure. <laughs> and I would argue it doesn't. These are all, you know, human interventions one way or the other. Right. Um, you know, is, is, you know, is neighborhood evolution a natural process? Right. Um, or is it a directed process? And I would say that it's, you know, it's definitely directed. Um, yeah. And we, yeah, we make plans. We make plans. I mean, it's, it's no different. Your question is really no different than than asking why we um, have zoning. Mm. You know, why why do we limit what can go where? Uh, and I said the answer is that we we make decisions about what we want in our community, and we what we want our communities to look like. Um, we make decisions about scale and walkability and drivability. Um, you know, there's certainly elements that are beyond our control about investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, does somebody invest in a grocery store in the East End? You know, you know, you can't tell somebody that they have to open a store there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the little house on Elizabeth Street to go to circle back, I think that's a, a very good example. Um, I've been presented since I've joined Heritage Guelph with probably somewhere between a half dozen and a dozen small houses not dissimilar to that mm. um, but most of the time they are they don't retain their heritage elements they have been you know they're broken and muddled and they don't have any uh, redemptive quality to either themselves or to their neighborhood mm. in the case of that house and again this is in, in my opinion <laughs> and and what heritage guelph seemed to support and and I'll note that this was you know contrary to what what staff recommended, mm-hmm. uh, but but we saw the value in the house. It was seemed to be in, in good nick. Um, it, it retained its original heritage components, and it's a you know that stretch that part of the neighborhood. I think it actually benefits from from staying somewhat the way it is mm-hmm. uh, once you start losing pieces then you wind up going okay well then what's the point uh, th- then why are we retaining you know every other house right um, and and i think that that was also reflected in the staff report that he said that that would actually make a very good component of a cultural heritage landscape or a heritage district mm. they didn't support it on its own merits 
Mm-hmm. Our challenge is that we're not moving fast enough with designating and recognizing, recognizing cultural heritage landscapes and, and, and turning them into conservation districts in order to protect those individual pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that's, that's part of the cultural heritage action plan, part of having more staff resources, trying to get caught up so that, you know, I, I think the first thing we have to do is say, we want to protect these broad areas and then have focused conversations. Mm-hmm. Cause what you're, what it kind of sounds like you're talking about is people want, it has been said and it has been said in the council chambers that sometimes these the heritage designation is seen as a burden uh, on homeowners but as soon as like pieces in the neighborhood start getting picked off sort of one house at a time it becomes a burden on the remaining property owners because then it then it falls to them to sort of be the last heritage building standing and i guess the burden is kind of put entirely on the ones who who don't demolish early as it were. That's right. That's right. <laughs> if, if you've got four heritage buildings in Guelph, you want to be the first one to apply for your demolition permit. Right. Um, you know, I, I think that doesn't really address the question of the, of the, the notion of a cultural heritage landscape as much. Mm. Um, the, the notion of a burden on homeowners. I also, you know, think that that's a bit of a misnomer, at least in Guelph, Right, because and there, there's two. One is if you bought your property, and it was already on the heritage register or the Gordon Cooling list or a designated property, mm-hmm. then you know you you bought it as you know with with that uh, uh, designation attached to it. Right, and you you should be aware uh, as the buyer. You you would look into any purchase you make. Um. If it and then if it's not been designated, our it's not a rule in Guelph, but our, our practice for the most part has always been to pursue what we call friendly designations. Mm. It's it's rare, although it occurs, especially in in when a demolition permit is requested. But generally speaking, when we're pursuing a part four designation, we're doing so uh, with the cooperation of the homeowner, the property owner. Mm-hmm. Um, now that was even the case, uh, with the reformatory, um, that was, a, a request from the province to pursue designation, um, which was very unusual because usually a subordinate government can't designate uh, provincial property. Right. In, this, in that case, they asked us to. So, so for the most part, well, uh, this, this notion of we've put a burden on the property owners, mm. well, the property owners, I think have actually been party to, to saving their heritage. Mm-hmm. We well, kind of drifted off from <laughs> sort of yeah. a year in, in review to sort of these more ethereal issues. So just to, to bring it back, you know, you sort of see these eruptions uh, of friction um, in, in governance sometimes where like long serving issues you know, it, it really does feel volcanic, like the pressure was building and then it explodes. And it, it feels just from the outside looking in, it was kind of that kind of year for heritage. So looking at it that way, um, are, are, are do you think your committee's sort of in a better position 
uh, going into 2022 that maybe you've had your eruption. Now things might there might be smoother sailing ahead or are these issues still sort of (laughs) (laughs) rumbling? Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, I I would, again, net net, I would have to say we've got a a better, uh, better channels of communication, Mm. which is the first step of, of making anything better. Mm Um, you know, I think, uh, senior staff, every, from from Scott Stewart to Jane Holmes to Crystal Walkie um, have been very good at opening up channels of communication and making themselves accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've been very good at at helping Heritage Guelph understand what what some of the challenges they have are and the limitations. Um, City council, councillors themselves, I've had very good communications with councillors one-on-one um, during different issues. I've had a lot of uh, conversations where they were trying to understand the Heritage Guelph position on something. And mm. and they've been very good at, at, at sort of doing outreach. And I think that that's something that, you know, in my experience had been lost. I don't know how much of that has gone on in the last, you know, decade or two. Um but that's a that's a welcome change, and at the end of the day, I mean, again, I approach all of the the recommendations as just that. I, I we are not um, an advocacy group. I mean, mm-hmm. we're actually almost, notwithstanding our our mandate to to do some outreach and education. Um, you know, uh, it's not like I'm about to get on Twitter if if the decision <laughs> on Elizabeth Street had been to demolish it. Mm. I'm not going to get on Twitter and start complaining about council's decision. Mm. We were council's advisory body. We gave them our advice and they are charged with the decision-making, um, which, uh, and, and they have to take in a lot more considerations mm-hmm. than heritage Guelph does. Mm. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, I think we are in a better place. Are, do we have challenges still to iron out? Absolutely. Um, but uh, I feel fairly confident uh, about uh, you know, what's going to happen in, in, in the new year. Um, we're, 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 we've got sort of new framework in the advisory committee protocols. Uh, there's new heritage staff. I and mean, that's, I think that that's going to be huge. They're going to be moving to put more buildings on from the cooling register onto the municipal register um and 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 hopefully we will get more resources you know even directly down to the heritage guelph level so that we can do the things that we like to do like the outreach the education you know i'd love to hold a seminar for real estate agents so mm. that we can have a conversation and 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 again I've talked to a number of agents who who think, oh, at that heritage committee, they're just going to, you know, throw up obstacles. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes that might be actually be true, but but generally not. Generally, the obstacles are already there. Uh, it, but they just don't know that that they exist. And and I think that there's a lot that can be done for uh, assistance to the media, assistance to stakeholder groups, assistance to council, and assistance to staff. Hmm. That's, I mean, that's a lot. Uh, yeah, it <laughs> I is. Mean, you, you, your, your resources are struggling to catch up, and you're already thinking ahead to, 
to yeah. more resources. <laughs> well, you know, it's, some of it is, is a matter of being proactive that rather than reactive. Hmm. You know, it's so much easier to educate somebody or, or somebody, some group, than it is to, to, to chase things after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the house on Victoria road was a, was a prime example that if we'd had, you know, the opportunity to, to educate council, uh, to speak to council about that, we may have averted, you know, a couple of emergency meetings. Mm. Um, and, and that's not laying the blame anywhere in particular. And I know that staff are doing a, a review of what transpired there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, having, yeah, yeah. Having that, that having the resources and, and doing, fulfilling our mandate, I think those are my big goals for 2022. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't get a chance to touch on 797 Victoria much, um, mm-hmm. but I mean, there, there is that review, that, as you said, that the hot, the top level review that staff are doing to sort of find out where the communication breakdown happened. But I mean, <laughs> is the end goal to like, a, the end goal is like avoid situations like that, where it's just like, this thing is in such great danger that we have to either dump a bunch of resources into it immediately to save it or just tear it down and cut our losses. Like that's, that's like, that's not a situation. Anybody, whether they're heritage, whether they're council, whether they're, you know, land developers, nobody wants to be in that situation. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, I, you know, I think that at that first meeting of council, um, when they were discussing it, I think a lot of councillors, you know, they, everybody, you know, voted with the information that they had and, mm. and, uh, you know, fulfilled their own, you know, I'm not sure conscience is the, is the word, but a mm. lot of them saw it as a black and white issue of, mm. um, you know, our lives in jeopardy versus saving a heritage building. And I don't want to be the guy that says, yeah, the old building is more important than somebody's <laughs> life or, yeah, or a yeah. firefighter. I mean, that's stupid. <laughs> we, yeah. I think we all recognize that. Uh, I think the, the question is, and it, it goes to the education component time and time again, uh, when we can educate people, we can say, hey, there is not necessarily a conflict between these two goals. You know, that, that, that there are, are they always cheap? Mm. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Are they always the most expedient? Not necessarily. Do we achieve a goal that everybody agrees is worthwhile? Well, then that becomes a different question. And, and then <laughs> it becomes a question of how much, uh, what resources do you want to invest? Mm. Uh, and where do those resources come from? Do they come from a, from a property owner who, you know, like it or not, property owners have responsibilities. They mm-hmm. don't just have rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we have responsibilities to to maintain our properties in a certain condition, to maintain them as safe, and when they when they are no longer safe, have those property owners abrogated that responsibility? And that, that has nothing to do with heritage value or heritage properties. That's just across the board. No, that's very true, and that's one of the the lessons I'm taking from this year is that. Um, I mean, it's, it's not just a heritage issue, but I mean, there are a lot of different issues where people are inordinately focused on their rights and without accepting that with rights come also responsibilities. And uh, 
I, it doesn't hurt to be reminded of that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a, that's an important component of, of discussion when we're talking about ownership and property ownership, mm-hmm. whether it's a heritage property or not. Absolutely. That seems like a good place to. <laughs> <laughs> I told you we could talk about this all day. <laughs> you did. It was, it, it should be a, it should have been a, warning at the beginning of the episode <laughs> I'll, have to leave it, I'll have to leave it there so uh, uh brian scare thank you so much for all your time today terrific thanks very much adam and once again that was p brian scarrett you can stay on top of the latest meeting information for heritage guelph at guelph.ca slash city hall slash boards and committees and you can learn more about the city's heritage plans under the planning and development page on that city website at guelph.ca and you can find direct links in the show notes for this episode and you can also look back at the year's biggest heritage stories on guelph politico and that is it for this edition of the guelph politicast the music for the guelph politicast comes from kpm classics and sid dale the Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, and you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you would like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time. Bye.